Good morning, church. The scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 13. Luke 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 13, New International Version, this is. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. May the Lord bless this reading. Bill, thanks for doing our reading this morning. Ken, thanks for that very meaningful worship song. Appreciate that. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word this morning. Loving Father, we come to you as children who need your love, need your help, need your guidance, perhaps need your discipline, need your forgiveness. Lord, however we've come here today, we thank you that we didn't have to clean up on the inside. We could come as we are and let you clean us. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live the Christian life and the energy of our own flesh, but you give us the Holy Spirit in us in order to give us the desire and the power to live a life that pleases you. So, Lord, as we come here, we ask you to cleanse us by the blood of Christ, to empower us by the Spirit of Christ, to draw us closer to Christ, that we might look more like Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you've given us truth. Thank you that you are the truth. You've given yourself to us. And Lord, we pray that we would know you better and the truth better because we've been here. Lord, may by your Spirit, you speak to each one of us through the message this morning, and may be Christ be exalted. May I merely be a channel through whom the Holy Spirit speaks. And Lord, we're mindful of those who listen online, those who are away from us. Lord, may you bless them, our missionaries serving overseas, our deployed personnel, students away at school, and those who are sick and battling illness. Minister to their hearts and souls, we pray as well. Through the marvelous name and the character of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen. The devil made me do it. Speak of the devil, look who just walked in. The devil's in the details. You cute little devil, you. He works like the devil. Who the devil are you? You'll have the devil to pay for that. Let me play the devil's advocate. She's got the look of the devil in her. You notice I'm not looking at anybody at the moment. (laughs) You poor devil. You lucky devil. Our English word devil comes from the New Testament Greek word, Theavolos. And Theavolos literally means slanderer. And when that word shows up in our Bible and it refers to our arch enemy, 
the word diavolos, slanderer, is translated as devil. But when it's referring to a Christian who's doing the devil's work for him and speaking the devil's language, it's translated as slanderer. Or, depending on your translation, malicious gossip or false accuser. But it's the same word, diavolos, the slanderer, the devil. Today we're going to continue in our series on encountering Jesus. And we are going to see the power encounter of all power encounters. It's the man of perfection encountering the most vile creature in the universe. It's the encounter between pure good and ultimate evil. It's the encounter between truth and falsehood, right and wrong, between God's way and any other way. If you have your Bibles with you or your tablets of some sort, if you turn with me to the Scriptures in Luke chapter 4, where we have the description of darkness confronting light and the devil confronting Jesus. And Luke 4 starts off this way in verse 1. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He had just been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit had just descended upon him. He's just been authenticated as the Messiah, the Son of God. He's just begun his public ministry. And as soon as his ministry begins, the devil shows up to tempt him. So he returns from the Jordan, was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days while tempted by the Avalos, the devil, the slanderer. And Jesus ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. I don't know if you believe in a literal devil. If you don't, it's probably because you've been influenced by our secular Western society that wants us to think that the devil is perhaps folklore or superstition or fantasy or just a childish belief. But just take a trip overseas. Go to Haiti or go to Africa or go to Asia or South America, places that I've been, and you will discover cultures that not only believe in the devil, they have met him. And if not him personally, they have met one of his many minions who we call demons. Years ago, I was on a mission trip for the summer in Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. The national religion of the country of Haiti is voodooism. It is the worship of the devil. I found it odd that you'd go around the country and you'd see crosses. But the crosses weren't to honor Christ. The crosses were symbols of the devil because they believed the devil had defeated Jesus on the cross. So when you saw a cross in Haiti, it was worship of the devil. And one day I noticed a cross, and someone had tied a goat to it. And I go, well, that's a cute little goat. And the missionary friend said, yes, that goat's going to be a sacrifice to the devil. He told us that the country had witch doctors, and they would put wongas on people. Those are curses. He told of one story of one man, the witch doctor put a wonga on him, and the the man couldn't get out of his chair for days. I don't know if he ever got out of his chair. I never heard the rest of the story. But people are demon-possessed, they worship the devil, they have real witch doctors. And one day I had a chance to meet my wicked counterpart, a witch doctor. And I'm talking to her and everything, and then afterwards I asked my missionary, well, how do you know a witch doctor? 
And he said, well, by the way, they dress. And I go, well, how do they dress? They always wear bright red and bright blue together. And I looked at myself, and I had bright red and bright blue on. (laughs) But I'm not a witch doctor. Well, I was out jogging and down a dirt road, and I'm jogging, and there was something in the middle of the road, and I thought, well, I need to see what that is. And I came, and it was white, and, and I picked it up, and it was in cloth, and it was padded, and I go, well, this is in the shape of a little doll. Some little girl dropped her handmade doll, and then I noticed safety pins in it. Ah, it's a voodoo doll! And so I threw it back, and I ran faster than I had been before. <laughs> well, Jesus not only believed in the devil... Jesus met him face to face. But before we look at this encounter more closely between Jesus and the devil, we need to make sure that we have a solid theological foundation. Paul, writing to his protege Timothy, calls this sound doctrine. Other places, uh, other translations call it healthy teaching, it's good theology. So if you have your outlines there and your bulletin, if you wouldn't mind taking them out so you can follow along and fill in the blanks, and this outline is something for you to look at during the week. You can look on the back. There's some study questions or discussion questions for you to reflect on. But we need to never forget, number one there, that Jesus is the creator. He's a creator. And the devil is the creature. He is the one who is created, the creature. Jesus is the creator. The devil is the creature. And the reason I say this is because I think the majority of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, either subconsciously or perhaps consciously believe and live and act as if Jesus and the devil are equal opposites as if they have the same power, only Jesus is good and the devil is evil. Well, that's a heresy. The devil is a creature. He can only be one place at a time. He's not omnipresent like Jesus. His power is extremely limited. He's very powerful, but he's not omnipotent like Jesus. He's quite knowledgeable because he's been around a long time. But he doesn't know everything. The only future the devil knows is the future that God has revealed to him. Jesus knows everything. Some people believe in what you might call a religious dualism. Equal good, equal evil combating. That is a heresy. It's untrue. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if you have sound doctrine, healthy teaching, you will realize that Jesus is the creator. And he created the devil. But not as the devil, as we'll see in a few minutes. Turn with me. We'll come back to Luke 4, but we need to go to Colossians chapter 1 for a moment in verse 16 to see an important truth. It's speaking of Jesus as a creator. It says he created everything, both visible and invisible. Colossians 1.16. For in him, the context tells us it's speaking of Jesus. For in Jesus, or by Jesus, that could be translated, all things were created. All things. 
both in the heavens, plural, and on earth. Heavens, plural. That's because we have the heavens, which are the atmosphere that we see. We have the heavens, which is the space that we can see part of that. And then we have the heavens, which is the presence of God, which the Apostle Paul calls the third heaven. God created all of that. And he created also, it says, the earth, visible and invisible. The heavens are the realm of spiritual creatures. Angels, demons, the devil. The earth is the realm of visible creatures, animals, human beings. And Colossians 1.16 tells us that Jesus created both. The heavens, the earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, wherever these rulers and authorities are, whether they're on earth or in heaven, in the heavens, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. And He is before all things because He is the Creator. And Genesis 1.31 tells us that when Jesus created everything, He looked at it and said it is very good. Not mostly good. It's completely good. Very good. But some of His perfect creatures... Angels, good angels, revolted against God. We call these angels that revolted against God demons, and we call their leader by a host of names in Scripture. In Isaiah, he's called Lucifer, which is the Latin for star of the morning. He's called the devil or the slander. He's called Satan, the destroyer. He's called the serpent of old, the dragon and many other names. But Jesus is his creator as a perfect being, and that perfect being revolted. Now the creator, Jesus, in conjunction with the Father and the Holy Spirit, agreed that Jesus, who has always existed in the past as God, would come to earth at a moment of time, taking on human flesh. He would still be 100% God, but now he would also be 100% man, something that theologians call hypostatic union. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, just a page over from where we just were, it says this about Jesus, Colossians 2, 9. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity, he's completely God, dwells in bodily form. That's a mystery. 100% God, 100% man. But when Jesus took on humanity, He chose to lay aside His independent expression of His deity. He chose not to use His God powers while He was a human being so He could fully experience what it means to be a man. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, makes this quite clear. Philippians 2, 5 says, to have the attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he was completely God. 
And although he is God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, in other words, held on to, but emptied himself, it says, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And what he emptied himself of was the right to express himself as deity. He's still God. But he said, as a man, I'm going to live as a man so I can experience what it means to be a human being in a fallen world so he can relate to you and he can relate to me. He gets it. He understands. And that's why the Scripture tells us he became hungry. God doesn't become hungry. Men do. Scriptures tell us he becomes thirsty. He became tired. Those are things that can't happen to God, but they happen to a man because Jesus has laid aside the expression of his God powers and lived as a man. And the scriptures tell us that he was tempted and he even died. All things that God can't do, but man can. And although the scriptures are quite clear in James 1 that God cannot be tempted to sin, the Bible is also quite clear that Jesus in his humanity was tempted to sin. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He gets it. He understands our struggle. And when it says all things, it doesn't mean every possible thing in detail. It means all categories. And there are three main categories we're told about in 1 John. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. He was tempted in those three, and we see that in our text in Luke 4. That the devil tempts him, the lust of the flesh, to turn stones into bread. And the devil tempts him in the lust of the eyes and said, see all these kingdoms. They're beautiful. Look at them. I'll give them to you, the lust of the eyes. And Jesus, tempted by the devil and the boastful pride of life, he says, if you're the son of God, jump off the steeple and watch the angels rush to save you. Because you're the Messiah, boast or pride of life. Well, when Jesus faces off with the devil, Jesus chooses to face off with the devil as a man, not as God. As God, he would obliterate the devil. And he will do that in the future. In the future, Jesus will face off with the devil, it says in Revelation 20.10, and he will throw this hideous beast into the lake of fire to be tortured forever and ever. But in our text in Luke 4, Jesus is coming against the devil, and Jesus is coming as a man. And so that makes the devil a formidable foe. And that makes the temptation real. And that makes the struggle like your struggle and my struggle with the devil. Jesus gets it. He understands how hard it is to live in human flesh. He's been there, and we are told in the book of Hebrews that he's sympathetic to our plight. Don't ever say, God, you don't know what it's like. <laughs> he became man, so he knows exactly what it's like. Never forget that Jesus is the creator, the devil is the creature, and yet, as a creator, Jesus became like one of his creatures. So turn with me again to Luke chapter 4, verse 1, keeping in mind now that Jesus is approaching the devil just like you and I would have to approach him, and there's a very important 
statement made that we don't want to miss. In verse 1, it says, In Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's incredibly significant. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Holy Spirit was essential for Jesus in order to combat the temptation of the devil, just like it is for you and me. Scriptures command us in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just so we'll be nicer people, which is true, but so we will be powerful people. Holy Spirit people are spiritually powerful people. In fact, the power within a Spirit-filled Christian who's filled with this Holy Spirit's power is greater than the power of the devil. I think we forget that. John, 1 John 4.4 says, Greater is He who is in you. And if you look at the context, the He is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Greater is the Holy Spirit in you than he, the devil, who is in the world. Now, if you against, go against the devil in your own power, oh, you're in trouble. But if you go against the devil in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the omnipotent God in you going against a limited creature with limited power. This is incredible truth, which brings us to the second thing we never want to forget, and that's this, number two. Never forget that spirit-filled Christians are a spiritual force to be reckoned with. Spirit-filled Christians are a spiritual force to be reckoned with. Look what happens in James chapter 4, verse 7, when the devil encounters a spirit-filled Christian. James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Well, how do we submit to God? Well, that's when you submit your will to God's will, and then when you submit your will to God's will, you're saying, Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me, let me do God's will. And when you submit your will to God, when God fills you with His Spirit, look what happens. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Being spirit-filled doesn't mean that the devil won't try to tempt you. But being spirit-filled means he won't be successful. And he'll leave you alone. For now. Until another opportune time. Just like happened with Jesus in Luke 4, verses 13 to 15. In verse 1, we see that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, until another time where he will be tempted. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Spirit-filled Christians are a spiritual force to be reckoned with. But not only did Jesus face off with the devil by being Spirit-filled, There's something else that he did that you and I can do as well. Three temptations, lust of the flesh, which is the stones to bread, the lust of the eyes, the kingdom, the boast of pride of life, the jump. Three times he's attacked, and three times Jesus responds by quoting the Scriptures. Verse 4. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. 
Verse 8, And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 12, And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not force a test on the Lord your God. Here at Kailua Community Church, we believe in expository preaching. Expository preaching is the form of preaching that uses the Bible as our authority, not famous people, not science, not experience, but Scripture as the final authority. These other things can illustrate the Scripture, but they don't originate truth. The truth is found in the Scriptures. And expository preaching is when you go through the Scriptures and you use sound hermeneutics. What that means, you use an interpretive method where you're not allegorizing, you're not spiritualizing, you're taking the Scriptures literally and you're expositing, you're sharing what they mean for our lives. And Jesus took the Scriptures seriously. He took them literally. And He applied them to life. And in Jesus' encounter with the devil, Jesus relied not on his God powers to defeat the devil. Jesus used the same two resources you and I have. He used the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Never forget, number three on your outline there, never forget. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are your greatest resources as a Christian. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. And that's why we at Kailua Community Church promote both. The Word of God is the basis for all that we preach and teach. And when you go to Sunday school and the children are taught in Sunday school, or whether they're taught on Awana, or whether they're taught in Cubbies and the three and four-year-olds, or whether they come to vacation Bible school, we're not just here to entertain children. We're not here just to babysit your children so you can go off and do something else. We are here to teach your children the Word of God. And when our women go to a women's retreat, they're going to hear the Word of God. And when our men go to a men's retreat, they're going to hear the Word of God. And when the men go to the men's breakfast, they're going to hear the Word of God. And when you come to this church, you're going to hear the Word of God. Because that is the basis. That's where the truth is. That's where we have power in the Word of God. And we're going to emphasize the importance of the daily filling of the Holy Spirit. Every one of our staff people, we pray together at our staff meeting to be filled with the Spirit of God because otherwise we are powerless to do this ministry. We pray that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and we tell you about it. It's on the front of your bulletin. D-A-Y. You need a desire to be filled. You need to be asked to be filled. And then you yield. You have to desire to do God's will. And if you do, ask him what his will is. And when he tells you, you have to decide if you're going to yield to it. And if you don't yield to it, you're not filled, directed by the Holy Spirit. So you've got to start over again and say, oh, I need your desire. Ask and yield. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are your greatest resources as a Christian. I hadn't noticed it before in this regard, but it's so clear now that I see it in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, you know it is a passage that has the armor that we're supposed to put on, and it's all this defensive armor, helmets and breastplates and stuff on our our feet and our loins. But then he comes to the one offensive weapon we have in verse 17 of Ephesians 6. And he's telling us we need all these things to come against the schemes of the devil. And in verse 17 of Ephesians 6, he says... Take the helmet of salvation 
and the sword of the Spirit. This is your offensive weapon. It's the sword of the Holy Spirit. What is the sword of the Holy Spirit? He tells us. It's the Word of God. So he tells us that you have to be filled with the Spirit so the Spirit can can wield his sword, which is the Word of God. You have to know the Word. You have to memorize the Word. You have to study the Word. You have to read the Word. You have to claim the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you come against the devil. And Jesus seemed to have known that. Because that's just what he did in Luke 4 to show us he could have tapped into his God powers. He could have just spoken one word and the devil was defeated. And he's going to do that. But in Luke 4, he approached the devil like you and I, as a human being, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Word of God. And the devil left. Think with me a moment longer about Jesus' temptation and then we'll finish the sermon. There are no eyewitnesses to this encounter. Nobody else was there. Just Jesus and the devil. That's often how it goes, isn't it? Your greatest temptations are when no one else is around. It's just you and the devil. No witnesses. No one's going to see. And the only way we could know what happened is that Jesus told us what happened. Well, why would he tell us? There could be a host of reasons, but one for sure so that you and I would know how to confront the devil with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You see, Satan tempted Jesus to take a shortcut. Nothing wrong with eating after not eating 40 days. (laughs) But Satan's method was a shortcut. Jesus is going to be the king of the earth. He gets all the kingdoms. But he's got to die on the cross first and pay for our sins. And it would have been a shortcut. It would have been easier to say, yeah, I just want the kingdom the easy way. No shortcuts. Jesus is going to get all the glory. But the shortcut was to get it then and jump off the pinnacle and have the angels save him. But that's not God's way. Jesus' character was at stake. And so was the fate of mankind. And when you're tempted, your character is at stake. The devil's shortcuts always look good at first. Otherwise, we wouldn't be tempted by them. Hey, it's quick money. No one will ever know. Looks good. Sex without commitment looks good. It's a shortcut. Manipulating circumstances or people to get what you want. Shortcut. Lying, stealing, slandering, cheating, coercing, begging, forcing. All means to take a shortcut. To bypass God's way, which takes time and often is hard and grueling and painful, as it was for Jesus. At any time, Jesus could have said yes to the devil, or more dramatically, said yes to himself, 
and tapped into his God powers. But he didn't. Jesus actually performed perhaps the greatest miracle when he was on earth. As Philip Yancey says and calls it, it's the miracle of restraint. Jesus could have healed everybody with a snap of his fingers. And you don't think he wanted to? You don't think he wanted to heal everybody on the planet? You don't think he wanted to fix everything while he was here? Father, I could just fix it now? The miracle of restraint. He held back his God powers so he could die for your sins and mine. Because there's no shortcut to doing God's will. No shortcut. No matter how hard it gets. We must follow the Father's way. God's word and the filling of the Holy Spirit times time equals Christ-like character. And there's no shortcut. Will you pray with me? And as our heads are bowed, I'd like to invite those who are serving communion to come and prepare the table for us. While they're doing that, I'd like you to bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of what you've done for us. How much you love us and how much you went through that we might come to love you and know you and be forgiven of sin and spend eternity with you. As I talk, perhaps you're here today and you've never yielded your will to God's will. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sin. But if you recognize that he died for your sins, if you recognize that he rose from the grave, if you recognize your need for salvation and forgiveness today, why not cry out to him right now in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, please save me. And he will. Church, go in peace. Thanks for coming. See you next week.